Hey everyone, before we get started today, I wanted to take a second to uh, remind everyone that tomorrow is election day in the U.S. If you've already voted, that's great. Thank you so much. If you haven't, make sure you make a plan to visit your local polling place and cast your ballot for the Biden-Harris ticket for president. Our electoral system is flawed in the U.S., and it requires us to pick the best option from a very limited set of choices. However, four years of Donald Trump has been terrible, and four more years will do incalculable harm to our immigrant communities, our communities of color, our queer communities, and it will restrict health care to those who need it most during the worst global pandemic in a century. It's unacceptable to have the ability to do some small part in preventing this and choosing not to. Please make a plan, stay safe, and vote for the best possible outcome we can have. Thank you very much and enjoy this episode. Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. Uh, we're not doing that this time, though. Sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> no, no apologies necessary, actually. I take that back. This will be this will be a good thing. I'm Zach, by the way. Adam's here, too. Hi, Adam. I'm Adam. <laughs> we, did, we did screw up the intro. We've done 160, 170 times. That's because we, we didn't read comics this past week, Zach. We read a book. A book without pictures and with words in it? <laughs> There's a picture on the cover. There is a picture on the cover. It's very good. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, this this week we actually have a special guest. Uh, she is the writer of the upcoming book, Liberty and Justice for All, a Marvel, Xavier's Institute novel. Uh, it's Carrie Harris. Carrie, how are you doing today? Uh, other than um, slightly frozen, I'm good. <laughs> Oh, good, good, good. So this is this is a new new book that's coming out. It's a prose novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, comes out tomorrow as you guys are listening to this live, uh, November third. So, you know, get get excited about that. Uh, I'm I'm just gonna read the uh, little blurb description they have for it as part of their training at the new Charles Xavier Institute. Triage and Tempest are allowed to attempt their first solo flying mission. Some way into their mission, they pick up an urgent SOS message. Sentinels are attacking a superpowered mutant who is struggling to protect an injured politician. When they abandon their lesson and answer the call, however, the identity of both will cause the two young X-Men far more problems than they bargained for. Uh, so here's the thing. <laughs> we're, we're a podcast named after an event that happens right at the this? same time as yeah, this book. Yeah, pretty much. So it, it piqued it piqued my interest for sure, mm-hmm. uh, and I I know it piqued Adams, and we wanted to uh, jump into that. But first, Carrie wanted to learn a bit about you, 
Uh, what's your what's your background with X Men or comics or any of this stuff? Were you a fan beforehand, or did you kind of learn to uh, get into all this stuff as you were uh, writing this? Oh, I was an X Men fan. In fact, um, when I sent in my pitch, I actually told them, "I will come to your house and dress up." Like whatever I have to do to get this job, I will do it. Um, So I started, uh, I think my first exposure to X-Men was the cartoon because Mm -hmm. I lived in a tiny little town that didn't have a comic shop. Oh, no. It was tragic. I'm Um, sorry. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, we had one bookstore and they had one of those spinny racks that, that had comics on it, but they kind of. I think they just ordered things at random. So they, they did stock X-Men, but I would get like issue one and two and then six and then 12. (laughs) And so you just kind of had, I read whatever I could, but I never got a full continuous story. Um, so then when I, when I left for college, I, I definitely read comics and I've been a fan ever since. Um, so when I heard that there were Marvel books and there were some choices of what to do, um, X-Men was it. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. I, the, the background's not uncommon. I, I know there's a lot of people of that era that have that exact same, I, I picked up what I could read. The one thing about it was that there were characters that looked like me. Hmm. You know, there was a teenage girl who was just a normal person. And so Kitty was my girl. And I wanted to be Kitty. I tried to dress up as Kitty and discovered that I cannot sew. Um, oh. <laughs> well, neither can she, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, so now I'm curious because the way... Uh, this is being developed. This is part of a much larger line of Marvel books. Um, in, in the copy that we had, there's a a little bit of press in the back for a domino book, a Dr. Doom book. There's going to be some Asgard books. Um, I believe, I believe for the record, domino is out now. I, I know domino is out now. And I believe a, one of the Asgard books uh, that I believe is about Heimdall is out now, but I, yes. I should double check which one is out. I can actually tell you. I can tell you Ooh. it's Head of Mimir by Richard Lee Byers, and it is excellent, and you should read it. All right. That was a good pitch. Um, but when it came time to, you know, kind of uh, pick straws, if you will, and and you get the best one, right? Because you get yeah. to write an X-Men story. <laughs> um, how did that go? How did that selection process go? Well, so actually, um, I got my foot in the door through RPGs. Um, My first paid writing gig was as a game writer. Um, And I kind of thought I would just write as a hobby. I got a real job. I, you know, because nobody ever makes it as a writer. That doesn't happen. So, right. So um, I, I, I wrote for games. Um. And then after my kids were born, we decided that I would stay at home and try to give this whole novel writing thing a go. And um, if I didn't sell anything, I'd go back to work once they were in school. And I have not gone back to work and they're all teenagers. That's awesome. That's a good problem to have. Yeah, Yeah, congrats. Thank you. (laughs) Um, But 
a lot of my cred, um, a lot of my writing credits have to do with gaming. I've written gaming tie-in novels and that kind of thing. And so originally Aconite was hiring somebody to, uh, multiple somebodies, to write game novels. Oh, okay. And that was how I got on their list. And shortly after I got on their list, they signed the deal with Marvel. And that was when I begged and pleaded mercilessly to please let me pitch for one of these books. Um, and the way that it worked was they sent out a list of all of the different lines that they had and some basic suggestions. Mm -hmm. And um, I immediately gravitated to X-Men. And so that's what I pitched. I sent in multiple pitches for X-Men and nothing else. <laughs> so what's what's interesting to me about this specific pitch... Uh-huh. Let's get into it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I... If, if I was going to start a line on X-Men, I, th I think there would be Wolverines or Storms involved. Some of, some of the more broad-based appeals, but this has Triage and Tempest, who are characters I love deeply. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, the, Bendis, the Bendis run of X-Men helped me, like, get into comics. Yep. So it's something that I have a deep love for, and we actually, just on our last episode... Talked about uh, one of the arcs for Halloween for the uh, the Dormammu one where they go to limbo with Fraser Irving art that's really good. Yep. Uh, which we'll put a pin in that. Uh, <laughs> I just uh, reread that actually. Eight. It's pretty good. Yeah. Technically, we haven't actually recorded that episode yet, so I don't know where we ranked it. I assume <laughs> pretty decent. We don't have to worry about that. That that's like an hour from now's problem, but. Uh, <laughs> But I, I find it very interesting that these characters in this very specific and very non-traditional status quo is what you went with here. I'm very curious what your process was for that and why that made the most sense for you. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the directions was that they wanted to uh, give some page time to characters that hadn't gotten their time in the spotlight. Mm -hmm. And so my idea was to take some characters that weren't as well known, but who were interacting with characters who are mm -hmm. and and focus on them. So you get the opportunity to meet some characters that that you might not necessarily know unless you're a diehard X-Men comic fan. But even if your only exposure to Marvel or to the X-Men as you saw a movie once, mm -hmm. you can still get it. So, you know, they're at the new Charles Xavier School, which is run by Cyclops. Everybody knows Cyclops if you know the X-Men. So, you know, you'll see some familiar characters um, and, and have that inroad, but you'll also get to meet somebody you might not necessarily know. I like that. <laughs> well, I like it too, as a huge uh, Tempest fan and someone who really does think that triage needs a little more screen time as well. Um, it's it's really cool to see, you know, their inner monologues, to see, you know, them get a little bit of focus. I think for us as like diehard X-Men fans, I think the one thing that blew us away right off the bat is that we knew exactly where this fell within continuity. Yep. You know? Yeah, 
Yeah. Hey, <laughs> how did it, how did it go about writing a book that has to specifically happen either right before or right after Uncanny X Men fifteen dot Right. Like I actually read all of those comics um, like twenty times, and I went, okay, it could go here, and then went, no, this has to have happened. So then it can go here, and so I literally on on my spreadsheet, that's what it says. This is exactly where it is, so I can say without a doubt, this has happened and this hasn't. It's such a, it's such a unique thing because I've read I've read some of the prose novels that they were doing back in the '90s and early 2000s mm-hmm. about the X Men. Me too. Uh, and they are, they they take place in a nebulous time. It's like this is this is roughly what things look like, and that's that's definitely an approach. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily a bad one, but. As someone who, like, is me, I'm sitting there, like, nitpicking, like, oh, dang, okay, wait, okay, no, this, okay, so this is, so this, okay, it can't be before this issue, this happened, and it's, it's wild to see how specific this comic is to, like, or not comic, excuse me, I'm very, I'm very used to talking about the books with the pictures in it, uh, it's wild to see how specifically tied to a point in continuity was that was that restrictive for you or did those did those boundaries provide like a nice ground for you to say okay well my story has to develop in one of these these are these are roadblocks that i can't go around so i have to find a way to creatively work within them um for me it it made me feel a little bit better about um sticking with continuity because I knew what had happened. Um, Mm. And actually, they didn't ask me to pick a particular place. Like, it had to fit into the timeline, um, but no one ever asked me to pick a comic or a space between (laughs) issues. I just did that because it, it was helpful to me to figure out exactly where these characters were mentally and the fact that you picked it up exactly thrills me to no end because it must mean I did something right. Again, it's a it's it's a run that Adam has a poster right behind him. On, yeah. So. Yeah, I have my my uncanny six hundred uh, yep. poster back here. Um, I have that issue. It's right over there. It's, it's a good one. I also have that poster, but it's on my it's on a vent in my basement. Ah. See. We did not buy those posters together. It's just this beautiful coincidence. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it it is really cool. I, I have to ask a super nerdy question, though. Um, is this, because it fits in so well as a jigsaw puzzle, does Marvel, is Marvel considering these books like quote unquote canon? Is this like a nebulous thing or is this, can this be counted as like the the story between the issues if, if you're. I don't know, whatever, official, you know, is it canon? I mean, I, I don't exactly know what they would say. I know they, that, that what we were instructed was to make sure that the work that we did fit with canon. Um, so whether or not that's part of the official Marvel timeline, uh, please, <laughs> if you're watching, please. Yeah. Here's here's the thing, Adam, and I know we've talked about this previously. It's better if it is. Oh yeah. Like just as a as a concept, not that the book changes one way or another, but as the concept of X-Men as a whole, if it all happened, 
great. Yes. They the X-Men definitely did Pizza Hut adventures and they definitely <laughs> met with Star Trek and they definitely like Jean Grey made out with Grifter from Wildcats once and that's all good <laughs> and fine and can all happen. Yeah. That's acceptable and we just need to embrace that. You might need to put good in quotes though. Okay, that's so that, that's good. That issue's got good Jim Lee art, let's be fair. <laughs> The rest of it depends on which yes. one you were talking about. Just there. I'm not gonna say. <laughs> All of them have their unique uh, uniqueness to them. Yes. Um, the fact that you got a chance to focus on these particular characters, though, I think um, you know Eva. This is before Eva really gets traumatized by getting thrown into you know her sort of. It's more of an Ileana situation where she sort of gets thrown through time. So we're, the we're... two annuals uh, between all new X-Men annual number one and uncanny annual number one uh, by Bendis and Ariano Sorrentino, uh, which are beautiful. If you all haven't seen them, they are absolutely gorgeous. So this is happening before that. Um, yes. So Eva is still very much kind of figuring things out. Um, why don't we start with Eva? Cause I do want to get to triage. Cause there's some stuff we really got to talk about with, with, uh, with Christopher Muse, but um, what was your approach to, to Eva? Because, you know, really she'd only been in the comics up to this point of your story for like, uh, a year, maybe a little more. Maybe. I'm not yeah. even sure if there was that much. And, um, you know, Eva's story really fascinates me because there's this big gap that we don't see. You know, um, she travels back through time and she has years and years of growth. She establishes a family. She does all of this stuff. And then poof, she's back. And so um, I wanted to explore if, if we're looking at a series built on firsts. So the idea of the Xavier's Institute is that, you know, these are characters who are, who are, taking their first step toward becoming mm-hmm. an X-Man. Um, you know, giving Eva a little more screen time before all of that immense growth happens mm. was something that really appealed to me because we don't see a lot of her before she goes. So true. Um, that was part of the reason why I picked her. Um, the other thing was that I felt like Prose really lends itself to some of the mutant abilities that don't get quite as much screen time in a comic mm-hmm. because they're not physically flashy. Um, the time bubbles are are cool in a picture, you know. Um, she can freeze things and it's this big glowing bubble and, and it looks neat. But in terms of what you can do other than I freeze people and then I unfreeze them. It's hard to dig into that, I think, as much as you can in prose. Mm-hmm. So I liked the idea of, of doing kind of um, the, the powers that didn't get, that are super cool, but didn't get their screen time in a comic because of the format. Mm. If that makes any sense. It does. No, that that's an interesting approach. I know... Uh... We've heard in the past from other creators, there's people that it's it's challenging when you've got a book that's got to have a big flashy fight. That X Men are action comics at the at the end of the day, they're they're an action story. So it's very difficult when you have someone whose power is I can read all the languages. Yeah, 
to find a role for them. Yeah. <laughs> in a book like that, where prose, you you are given a bit more introspective time between some of the beats you have to hit so that you can you can play with that stuff a lot more. Right, right. Well, and you can essentially create like a, like a mousetrap where Eva is using her ability, which, you know, you do it, you do step A, then step B, then step C, and then the bad guys shoot each other, you know? And, and so you get the opportunity to play with those things and see the logic in a different way than you would in a comic. I'm, I'm sure a talented artist could do it. I don't happen to be one, so I don't know how, but I'm sure you well, I think, the, yeah, I think the other advantage that you have with prose is that, um, you know, obviously we're getting a lot more inner monologue here. So um, I feel like, especially with Christopher, we are getting quite a bit of backstory that I don't think has really been approached elsewhere. Nope. Um, and I he shows up at the bad university. And then he gets recruited and that's it. That's <laughs> right. all that happens. Right. Like we don't get to really get a lot of his, uh, you know, his family. Um, we don't get a, to learn a lot about, you know, what he's thinking or, or anything, to be honest. We get a ton of that in this book. Um, and I, I think that one of the most interesting facets uh, that you write about is there's quite a few interactions with police. Um, as part of this story. And uh, I, I wanted to, to hear your perspective on how you approach writing that because it's coming out at a, a really important time when, you know, we as a nation are, are reevaluating our, our, you know, relationships and our past and the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and these scenes are speaking directly to Christopher's fears. Um, so what was it like approaching, you know, Christopher in, in that particular uh, mode. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the kind of thing that you really have to do with delicacy, but one of the, one of the questions that I asked myself when I took this on was, okay, you know, you have the mutant metaphor, which is um, something that you can't ignore. Mm -hmm. And um, Christopher in particular intersects with this, um, otherness in multiple ways and so um, you know if they're in this situation the police will be there what happens and mm. how do I deal with that as a suburban white woman in a respectful manner mm. and um, so I had uh, I had readers who were kind enough to look through it for me um, to make sure that that I was being uh, respectful and and honest. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I guess what, what I figured was my place to do was to put the problem out there and recognize that it's there. Mm -hmm. And it's not my place to, um, to pose solutions because mm -hmm. I don't have that lived experience. So um, uh, hopefully with the, with the readers, we did a good job of it. And I know that, that Marvel was very aware of the need to do what we did right. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so we ended up with some scenes that uh, 
that acknowledge that this is a place that we are currently and um, and how that makes Christopher feel. And I think that's probably the most important thing of all is that this is his view and Eva's, which I think is just as interesting mm-hmm. of of what is happening and what is safe. Well, because there's there's even a point in this where Eva, you know, she's she's a white lady, but she's from Australia, which yeah. has a very different relationship with policing than America does, and she's naive to the realities of uh, the situations, especially that Christopher, as a black man, would uh, be exposed to in that. And I think I think that scene that scene really speaks to the experience because one of the things that we've actually talked about very recently on the show is how that intersectionality between, you know, this made up metaphor for otherness and the real world stuff that actually impacts people uh, intersects and how so often that doesn't happen in X-Men because it was created by a couple of white guys in the sixties. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I think I, no, go ahead. I just said, I, I think it's, it's a very interesting angle that got taken in this book. And I think it works pretty well. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. You know, it's, it's one of those things where if you're going to put it in, you really need to do it right. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I can say that what went into the book was, was done with, um, with respect and, and effort to get it right. Cause I know that I can't. Hmm. Good. Uh, I think we're, you know, we're talking about, you know, pretty serious uh, parts of the book here, but yep. the book also has what I think of as kind of a light quality to it. Uh, it's fun. Um, you bounce from, you know, scene to scene and, and it's all happening in, in the Chicago, uh, you know, sort of streets of Chicago mm-hmm. um, all around this museum. Um, I think if we're if we really want to get uh our listeners to pick this up i do think it would be if it's okay with you i would like to at least let them know who the person is that their call is responding to can we give that spoiler i'm not supposed to say anything but the other thing that you can say is that um it's one of my favorite all-time x-men villains slash anti-heroes and okay. uh, he is referred to as a as a cranky, grumpy uncle type by my editor. Okay, then we are going to keep a, keep a lid on that. But I think if you are listening to this, um, that should be enough to entice you because this between that and him and there being a politician connected to it, put two uh, and two y'all, together. Y'all... <laughs> y'all, y'all shouldn't be able to put two and two together of who knows who is who is both cranky and has a fraught relationship with the specific politician. Um, uh, I, I do have to say that it's a, it's kind of a stroke of genius to to put this little trio together uh, or quartet. Really, um, I was not expecting that at all. No. So that's the so I'll tell you that's the moment where I started to be like, okay, wait, what in the world? Something interesting's happening <laughs> this is here. Weird. Well, because I knew I knew where they were before this story, and I knew where they were after this story, and I was like, okay, something has to give, and I don't know what. And it 
it works very well in this. And actually, what's interesting is how it informs, how it recolors other stories that happen later. Yeah. yeah. That aren't part of this at all, that are no. part of the comics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and I have to tell you, I, I'm trying to dance around this without being incredibly spoilery, but uh, sure. the cranky, grumpy uncle was my favorite character to write and the easiest to write. And I actually really? said That's to my great. husband, there might be something wrong with me. <laughs> you know. Listen, is he a little bit of a sociopath? Sometimes. Sometimes. Do, does he still have his own fans? Yes. yes. Oh, my God. But he's, he's one of my favorites. And so, you know, as I was looking for someone to kind of serve, I wanted to have a major character be a part of the main story. Once you leave the school, mm-hmm. which... We all know who's at the school. If you've read the comics, you know who's at the school. So you see some It's Cyclops and Magic and Emma and Magneto. Yeah. And all of the original X-Men. But that's... That's... that's. I'll tell you, that was the part where I was like, oh, no, they are just, like, accepting the continuity here. I was like, yeah, these X-Men came from the past. They're here. Let's go with it. That's that's where they are, and and let's meet them in the bathroom. (laughs) That is exactly what happened. It is. It's great. Well, and, and it's those mundane things that, like, if if I went to one of those schools, that would be the thing that would throw me for a loop. Like, you see Jean Grey in the danger room, that's where you expect to see her. But if you both go to the same school, and you're both female people, uh, you will meet each other in the dorm bathroom. Mm-hmm. And that's crazy. <laughs> Speaking of mundane, there was something I definitely wanted to ask you about, which is multiple points in this story, there's food. Yeah. Now, when you read superhero comics, very rarely, like just recently, uh, Jerry Duggan did an issue of Cable that featured Cyclops eating a cheesesteak. It was one of the. I'm glad that's a touch point for everybody. Now, it is. It's great. That's exactly where I was like, okay, well, I know that happens. <laughs> but you have multiple points in your story where food is involved, and it's never something that we see in the comics. And I was just curious, like, what's what was your approach for including that? Why was that necessary? Because I loved it. That... Maybe I was hungry at the time, but um, <laughs> I think also. Um, you know, I, I wanted it to feel like it could be a real school, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and especially for people who aren't familiar with this era of the comics, it's not the Xavier school that we're used to. There's are no jets coming up from underneath the basketball courts. This is not the fancy mansion. This place is kind of a hole. Um, it, it's a it's a bad place where military experiments happen. I know it's not great. I know, and it's it's gross. And there's actually at one point they talk about, um, like all of the girls get together and say, "We've got to go get clothes. We have no clothes." In the comics, yeah. right? Yeah, that's that great. Yes, that's that uh, great fifteen dollars yeah. yeah. issue. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, so. That actually kind of came about after I read that Girls' Night Out issue where they go shopping, which was, okay, they're they're in a cruddy facility. They don't have a lot of the amenities that you would expect. 
And one of the ways that you can show that is the food sucks. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the scene with Magneto and the brown bag lunches, man, yes. I just lost it. Because when you read that era, you're like, they're in the Weapon X facility? Like, they ain't got nothing. And like, where did they even get this sandwiches? <laughs> like, it's, it's great. It's that... It's that- fan thing that you see happen you know like online in discussions and like on ao3 but you don't get as much in the real deal thing of well also they've got to live and eat and sleep and do stuff in between punching out the purifiers or whatever (laughs) and it's a very it's a very fun angle to include in a place like this where you have a bit more breathing room yeah now your 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 background, uh, like you mentioned earlier, is in game writing and tabletops, yes, uh, RPGs, which is not necessarily a background that always you know leads directly into comics writing or working with this. No, so I'm I'm very curious how that very specific type of writing informed how you did do your prose, uh, specifically while using you know licensed characters, licensed properties, things like that, where you know. You don't have the same freedoms. Right. Well, and I think, I mean, the, the biggest and most important thing uh, when you're approaching a licensed property is I think you need to love it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to do it well, you, you need to be in love with it. And um, then I was able to write what I would like to read as a fan. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you're approaching a licensed property in general that's kind of how I pick where to throw my hat in. Um, But games in particular are kind of interesting because um, they teach you how to write tight um, because you, you only have so much space Mm -hmm. and they also teach you um, the balance between character and plot. Because if your plot's too overwhelming, your players feel railroaded. That's no bueno. If your um, if your characters drive everything, and there isn't enough plot to support it, then your players feel uh, you know the game feels like there's no direction, and your players feel like you've done nothing. You've kind of abandoned them, and it's going nowhere. So, really, when I'm approaching plotting a book, I'm looking for that kind of magical balance between character and plot. Um, and, and so trying to find some plot elements that will affect the characters, but that the characters can also do something unique about. Carrie, I just made a quick reference to current continuity. And uh, obviously you were a big fan growing up. Are, are you following the books now? Are you following the, the current uh, John Hickman era of, uh, of X-Men? Yeah, I jump in and out. Um, you know, when I'm drafting a book i find that if i pick up comics i lose an entire day Mm. um, because i want to know what happens next and so what i do is i i buy a ton of issues all at once from uh, my comic store and then i have my unlimited subscription because of course i do and so right and they just shortened the time frame which makes me so happy yeah, hey three guys, months. Unlimited is only three months behind now. So if you haven't been on that, this for some reason, you should probably jump on it. It's a pretty. This show only exists because that software is available. I'll <laughs> yeah. tell you that. 
Yeah. It's great. Yeah. So what I do is I, I binge um, about, well, 50 or so issues all in one day. And then I'll go for a little while and then I'll catch up again. Um, so I'm usually a few months back because, um, you know, the subscription being what it is, it's much more feasible and I don't have any room left. <laughs> that's that's a that's an ever-present problem. I will say if your background is with tabletop and you also like X-Men, there are literal uh like D&D-ass uh <laughs> descriptions of different worlds and weapons now yeah. just in every X-Men comic. Yeah. It's great. You're you're going to love Ten of Swords when it comes up. <laughs> now we, we do have a couple of questions from you that came from our great listeners over on the Twitter.com. Uh, this first one does come to us from at Brawl2099. It's Tony Thornley. Uh, and he asks, do you have a character wish list for a follow-up? I do. I actually have some, uh, some additional pitches in. And mm. I am waiting for... Uh, f- feedback and to see what happens next. So, Ooh. yeah. As a as a follow up to that, is there um a plan to continue this as a series? Yes, there is already a second book that's been announced. Um, announced is a strong word. It's definitely on Amazon, and they have not done any press. It exists. <laughs> it we exists. know that it exists. Okay. Um, it, 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 it is out there. Yeah, but I can't tell you much more about it either. Um, you know, and, and the authors behind the scenes were all kind of talking about ways to cross over, ways to oh, cool. um, plant little Easter eggs from book to book or even from series to series to, to try to help uh, make them feel cohesive, even if they're not necessarily following the same characters. So... If that works out, I think it would be super awesome, but we just got to kind of wait and see. We're in the early stages, you know? (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's fair. Uh, Robert Secundus, uh, at Robert Secundus, uh, does ask, is there something that the novel offers as a medium, either for these characters or readers, that comics as a medium lacks? Well, you know, I think we've talked a little bit about how the, um, you know, in novel format, you really get to delve into internal monologue and motivation and and the thought process, the characters in general, um, on a mm-hmm. deeper level than you do in the comics. Um, certainly a good comic writer and, and a good artist can really give you a sense of who a character is, um, but you don't get the depth of information that you do in a novel. I think the other advantage of the novel version is that it's a complete storyline in one volume. Mm. Um, and so I, tr- I really tried to write something that was accessible to newbies, but still contained enough Easter eggs that if you're a diehard fan, you will know that, oh, the reason they are fighting is because of this. And, oh, the reason this is happening is because of that. And and all the little things that you kind of pick up if you know those characters, like the back of your hand, which obviously you guys do. <laughs> A little bit. A little bit. 
You can, a, a you can little say that. bit. A smidge. I really cannot throw any shade on this. I'm a part of this club too. It's okay. No, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. It's 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 very fun to see a cross media property that is just as deep in the nuts and bolts of everything as uh comics readers are used to. Mm-hmm. Well, now, I thought I would lose. Oh, I was just going to say, I thought I would lose all my cred if I turned in a, a draft and the Marvel fact checkers were like, yeah, that's all wrong. <laughs> that's every every true. time I thought I was going to catch you on something, not that I was looking, but. Oh, you should be. Once you threw down, once you threw down the gauntlet that said, no, this is very invested in a very specific point in time. I said, all right, <laughs> let's see what happens here. I would just like to uh, know but, who this small room of fact checkers were. Like, I want to be a fly on the wall as they're like reading your manuscript and going, huh, what is this, you know, is this fit? Does this work? Like, well, who did they hire to do that? What does the room look like? Does it have a wall of comics or do right. they have like the database of all the info in which I want that? I don't know. I don't know. It's such a weird idea. Um, we did have uh, another. We had, yeah, one more. Sorry, yeah, I, was, I was jumping yeah. to that. Uh, the last one, this comes to us from Asimov underscore fangirl, uh, who I assume is some sort of sci-fi nerd. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, they ask, hello, everyone. If you could get the powers of one of the novel's protagonists, which one would you choose? Ooh. So would you like to heal everything and never, never get hurt? Or would you like... Uh, to create cool little time bubbles. See, okay. Can I be Ava but have Christopher's powers? Because sure, why Ava, not? <laughs> Ava is cool, but uh, I always play the cleric. Mm. Anytime I play a game, I'm the cleric, I'm the healer. That's... <laughs> yeah. Plus, I feel like triage's powers are, are a lot less... Um dangerous you know like we we see what happens to tempest when her powers go out of control it ain't great yeah <laughs> here's the thing i i have very little use in my life to uh to put a pause on a small finite area <laughs> if i can put a pause on most things that's a different story right. but very rarely do i have like 20 feet that I've just got to like give a, give a hold on to. Uh, but I'm getting old and my elbow hurts. So I could really, uh, I could really benefit from a little bit of, yeah, a little bit of that. Uh, but that's a, that's what we got. Carrie, what's next for you? What do you have? Uh, what do you have going on? Um, I'm, I'm working on a few non Marvel books. Um, uh, including Elder God Dance Squad, which is um, Lovecraftian creatures, uh, teenage girls in short skirts with pom poms, and they are humanity's only hope. That sounds great. <laughs> I, I kind of like it. That sounds um, fun. Yeah, and then I'm working on some um, some graphic novel and comics. Um, oh. hopefully work. I did do a graphic novel, uh, superheroes, teenage superheroes. Um, and, uh, I'm hoping to do some more of that because I really loved it, but I can't draw. Mm. So slight problem. That's, that's, that's a real, real challenge for two thirds of, of the people on this show right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. 
Uh, Adam, never apologize for the beautiful, beautiful oh, pieces of ink you that hugged, you slap on paper. You all the talent. <laughs> really did. Uh, Carrie, is there a, if people want to learn more about what you've got going on, is there a good place uh, that they can uh, reach out and find you? Yeah, yeah. CarrieHarrisBooks.com. Pretend it's all one word. And that's got all the information about my books, um, release day, um, shenanigans, uh, you can get signed book plates since COVID uh, makes it impossible for us to go anywhere. And uh, and there's links to all my social media where you can find me wasting time and posting memes. <laughs> that's that's great. Hmm. Uh, so, guys, Liberty and Justice for All comes out uh, tomorrow. If you don't have it on pre-order or you like physical stuff, you can definitely reach out. We're going to have links to uh, some local booksellers that uh, can get you a copy uh, pretty darn quick. Uh, you can also get an ebook. There's plenty of places for that. Uh, and it's exciting. Go check it out. Uh, Adam, people can find you online where? Guys, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. I just want to reiterate, we love the book. So uh, if you're an X-Men fan, you're going to like it. So go check it out. Um, Zach, where can people find you? Uh, nowhere, but you can find the website, the podcast, and everything we do in the Xavier Files media empire at XavierFiles.com. That's where you get all the latest and greatest in X-Men news, uh, articles, commentary, comparisons to different pieces of Taco Bell's menu that may or may not be discontinued <laughs> at this point in time. Uh, we've got it all there. Uh, also on Twitter at Xavier Files. Uh, it's been a great time, Carrie again thank you so much for being on tonight thanks so much for having me this is a blast it's a pleasure meeting you such a pleasure now next week guys we have an episode all about the one the only emma frost so uh check that out it's going to be a great time but until then this has been battle of the atom we hope you survived the experience Get it.